0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast with me, Scott Challoner. The podcast, just like the Leaders' Council itself, is all about recognising and celebrating the people who keep this country running. We exist to give leaders a voice outside of their own organisation and to support them in the same way they support their staff every single day of the week. If you are in a leadership position yourself and would like to have your voice heard on the national stage, please go to leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Joining me on today's programme on a cool and cloudy autumn day here in the capital is Isabel Hilton. Isabel is a writer, broadcaster and editor and is currently CEO of China Dialogue, a non-profit organisation focused on climate change and the environment with particular emphasis on China. Um, Isabel, very warm welcome to yourself today and thank you ever so much for joining us.
1: It's a real pleasure. Thank
0: you for having me. Likewise, Isabel. Pleasure welcoming you onto the airwaves with us as well. Um, Normally, we dive straight into the subject of leadership at this point in the show. But considering the ongoing COVID-19 situation, I do feel it's appropriate that we start there because it's proven to be such a significant challenge for leaders within all walks of life. But to what extent has it affected you and your work?
1: Well, it's affected us in some ways quite profoundly. Um, and operationally, if you were to look at the organization, you would think it hadn't had a big effect at all. So it's a bit of a paradox there. Mm. Um, China Dialogue uh, is now, which, which, which I founded uh, in 2006 as, if you like, a single bilingual Chinese English website which was publishing in both directions on the issues of climate change and China's environmental crisis and what was happening in the rest of the world about climate change. Uh, That is now um, four websites, some 40 staff around the world. So we have an office in Beijing, we operate in South Asia, we operate across Latin America, and we have a headquarters in London. So COVID has has affected us, if you like, on a kind of rolling global timetable, Mm. which begins... Back at the beginning of the year in China, when our China office had to go into lockdown and various members of staff were stranded in parts of China and couldn't travel, um, and and we've seen it roll. Now we have a big problem in South Asia. All our people across South Asia are also in the in the eye of the storm, and, and similarly in Latin America. Um, so at the same time as we've been dealing with what's been happening in London, so. You know, in in many ways, it's been a year-long, nearly a year-long crisis for us. Um, But at the same time, because we operate largely online, we publish online, uh, we have been able to retreat to our respective lockdown situations and continue to publish and to continue to commission work, to continue to follow events. But the other big way that COVID has affected us is that you know this was to have been the super year for climate change and the environment, including China hosting the Convention on Biological Diversity conference in Kunming, which was meant to happen this autumn, followed by the United Kingdom hosting the conference on climate change COP26 in Glasgow, which again was meant to happen in November. Now those and all the ancillary meetings which lead up to these big events have all been postponed until next year. And so the whole timetable that, that we and, and the rest of the world were looking at in in terms of, of, of combating climate change has been thrown into confusion. So we've been dealing, if you like, content-wise, with how the world is adjusting to that, what mm. happens when you get an immediate crisis like COVID and a long-term crisis like climate change gets pushed aside. So there's been a lot of adjustments. In personnel terms, I think we're we're just about hanging in there. We Our staff have had to be working at home now since March. Mm-hmm. And, of course, depending on people's circumstances, it's much tougher for some people than it is for others. My children left home some years back, uh, but I have staff with very young children, and they've been trying to work and look after their children or, in some cases, do homeschooling. And it's been extremely tough. You know, I they have been pretty magnificent, but I don't underestimate how difficult this has been. So, you know, mm. we were looking forward to getting back to a, some kind of normal. But I think that's going to be a little while yet.
0: It certainly is, isn't it? Because even when there is hopefully a working vaccine in place, there's no guarantee that it's going to be a magic bullet and it could take some time for us to revert to uh, the way things were. And again, it may never happen because for some people, of course, the work from home side of things does help with their work-life balance. There is um, a mental health argument for that. But equally, there are also um, similar arguments for having a workplace and having that sort of human social interaction as well when it is safe to do so for parts of the year, the week as well. So whether we'll see the office ever back in vogue as it was, that, of course, is to uh, to be decided in future. future. Um, but it is a challenge, isn't it? Um, nonetheless, the uh, the work-from-home scenario and having to lead from a distance as well, because it isn't a one-size-fits-all approach like you say there.
1: No, it's it's, it's not one-size-fits-all. And I think that there are aspects of... Look, nobody likes travelling in the rush hour. Nobody likes the commute. There are mm. aspects which which people are very glad to say goodbye to. But on the other hand, you know, we're a team in London of maybe 14, 15 people. And keeping that team together uh, is, is really important. We all get on. We've been, you know, we were you know, It's functioned very well on, on, you know, as small teams have to do. Um, and keeping people kind of engaged in that um, sort of social professional uh, bubble is is really important. So, you know, we have a a team meeting every morning on Zoom for about 20 minutes where everyone briefs everyone else on how their day looks and, and what they're doing. And we can sort of iron out any bottlenecks or problems that have arisen. At the same time, that core London team is having to coordinate, in one case, with Latin America or with South Asia or with China. And so we have quite a kind of Extended challenge of keeping the whole organisation functioning when we can't meet. Also, begin, given that, that we do a lot of um, reporting, you know, we do reporting and analysis. If you can't travel, it, if your reporting becomes a bit of a challenge, you know. And and people can't travel. So how do you how do you know what's happening in the Amazon with a Chinese factory if you can't get to the Amazon? So, you know, there are quite long term issues here in terms of how people do their jobs and what what the new normal will look like. I am not persuaded that things will go back to the way they were. I think we will look back at this and it'll be a bit like older generations saying, Oh, before the war, then after the war although, you know, the metaphor can be can be overused, but I do think this is a big rupture and that things will be different after this is over.
0: Mm. And you mentioned as well, the, uh, the climate emergency is a long term issue, sort of being pushed aside by COVID-19. However, what it has done is it has amplified um, the national discussion, particularly in the UK, around areas such as sustainability as well, as we've seen when we started the work from home side of things. So with, of course, the Prime Minister now talking about building back better and spearheading a green economic recovery, do you think that maybe there are some positives for the environment that might come about as a result of all of this
1: well i think it's quite important that that be at the front of everybody's minds i mean one one of the mm. things that that has happened as you know in the course of the covid pandemic is that national treasuries have been emptied um, and you know more than emptied in order to deal with the immediate impacts of the pandemic
2: mm.
1: there is a the truth about sustainability is that in the long term it delivers lasting prosperity without you know depleting natural capital but in the short term like any investment it requires investment so my my concern has been that we have been throwing money as as we needed to do at this emergency and when it comes to the question of you know what follows that the cupboard will be bare so it is really really important that we combine the the idea of recovery with these very well-argued case for sustainability and for serious investment. We were already way behind the timetable on what we need to do on climate. And this is both a crisis and an opportunity. So, you know, things will be different. Let's make sure that they're different in a way that is positive for generations to come. And we're not just trying to sort of get growth back by pouring concrete and and doing things which in the long term are going to be um are going are really not going to help so that i think is is absolutely critical there is there has been quite a lot of uh, assessments so far mm-hmm. of the of various recovery packages and how many of them really are green and you know there are aspects of the british one as far as we can see it Um, which are okay. And there are some aspects which are not okay. Um, So I think we need to keep a really tough um, look at, at what countries are doing. In China, for example, there's a lot of rhetoric about green recovery. And again, aspects of it are green, but quite substantial aspects are simply traditional, you know, burning coal and pouring concrete. And that is not what we need. The European Union has perhaps the most convincing uh, comprehensive programme for a green recovery, but they could all be improved.
0: They certainly could, for sure. And it's going to be interesting to see just what sort of shape the green economic recovery does start to take over the next few months and indeed years. And of course, you also mentioned the importance of making sure that we do get this right for the younger generations of people out there that will be inheriting the planet. And it is also apparent at this time that there will be a lot of youngsters probably listening to this podcast and looking on um, at the current economic situation and are probably feeling very downhearted by what COVID is doing to the economy and doing to their employment. Prospects. So, as a leader in your own right, Isabel, do you have any sort of messages of inspiration for those youngsters to really get them to pick their heads up and embark on the road to success, even in this trying time?
1: Well, it's certainly tough, and uh, you know, for any young person trying to make a a start in life, it's pretty hard, and you know, it will be worse, I think, in the coming year. We will see more. Business failures, we will see more uh, people losing their jobs. And it's quite, I don't want to be glib about this because I really wouldn't underestimate the challenge. On the other hand, I would say that the old system was leading us down a very dangerous path if we look at uh, mass extinction, if we look at the exhaustion of natural capital, and if we look at climate change. And to some extent, a disruption really does create opportunity. We would never have imagined that a Tory government would be spending public money the way this one has been spending public money this year. And that's the product of the crisis. So in every crisis, it opens up new ways of thinking. And I think that we can look to younger generations for the kind of thinking that is going to you know, be very important for their future, but also for all people in any leadership position to see what what the future could look like and to see what young people will make of this moment. And I would say to them, you know, don't be afraid. This is also their moment. It may look very bleak. It may look very uncertain, but that is the nature of an opportunity. That is the space into which new ideas can flow.
0: And I think that is an incredibly sound piece of advice and also very inspiring for those youngsters that will be listening to this as well, Isabel, for sure. They should certainly heed that message and could do much worse than do that. Um, and thinking about the uh, the future in just a little bit more detail now before we do wrap things up on the, uh, the programme today. Um, Over the course of the year, the next 12 months, we know it's going to be quite a difficult time. And as you say, it could well get worse before it gets better. We do have to negotiate quite a difficult winter first and foremost. And then by the spring, we may have a vaccine, we might not. There is still a variable there as well. But in an ideal world, where do you see yourself and where do you see China Dialogue being this time in 12 months? And what is it really that you're hoping to have achieved yourselves in that time? Well, so far,
1: China Dialogue has has weathered this. Storm And I think, you know, we we just have to kind of maintain a steady ship for the next few months. What we are focused on is how does the world cooperate and create climate solutions? Because beyond the climate crisis, again, there is a a better future. There is a cleaner, greener future. Uh, There is a world in which, you know, we don't come into such close contact with that that we end up with pandemics. There is a world in which we are not destroying life underwater and life on land at the rate that we are doing now. That's a much better world. And and China will continue to argue for that better world and to try to create the kind of uh, connections across barriers of language and culture that can bring people together in in a search for joint solutions to problems which will affect all of us there is no escape from the impact of climate change or the impacts of of species loss they're going to affect all of us and if we mm-hmm. want a prosperous and stable world we have to cooperate so i guess what china pilot will be continuing to do is to you know translate ideas to translate um, analysis to to report to try to make people see other The situation of other people as their own, and that's kind of what our core philosophy is, and that I hope we will manage to do in a world that is increasingly fragmented and Mm finger-pointing and inward-looking, is to maintain that global perspective, because without that, uh, we are really in a mess.
0: I think you're absolutely right. I think it is time to stop the finger pointing and stop the blaming and certainly look to be collaborative going forward and talk to each other because it will be so, so important to addressing the challenges that we will be facing on a global scale. And I do wish you all the luck in the world, um, Isabel, in sort of making that possible. In fact, as well, I actually think it would be wonderful to catch up at some point in this next year and have you back on the programme with us just to see what sort of shape the world is starting to take and just what is going on behind the scenes at China Dialogue at that point as well and whether we are starting to see that vision being borne out.
1: Well I would really look forward to that.
0: I'd certainly welcome that opportunity as well Isabel. I've thoroughly enjoyed your company on the uh, the programme this morning and um, also um, most importantly until we do hopefully get to speak again. Please do take care and stay safe with everything still going on in the world as well.
1: Thank you, thank you.
0: I'd also like to reiterate that message to all of the listeners tuning into today's podcast. Please do continue to look after yourselves, stay well and be considerate of others because it makes such a key difference in saving lives. It was a pleasure for me to welcome Isabel Hilton, CEO of China Dialogue, onto the programme today. Coming up next on the show, we'll be joined by Matthew O'Neill for his exclusive interview with former Education Secretary and incumbent Leaders Council Chairman. Lord Blunkett, who enjoyed a distinguished political career, despite being blind from birth. He held numerous senior positions in the Cabinet of Tony Blair during his Premiership, as well as serving as the MP for the Sheffield, Brightside and Hillsborough constituency for 28 years. Lord Blunkett was first elevated to the House of Lords back in August 2015. That interview will be coming up next. Lord Blunkett,
3: welcome.
2: Therefore, they're thinking about more productive, if you like, greater productivity ways of delivering the same service or delivering the same products. And in that sense, I think we'll have temporarily at least very much higher unemployment than we've become used to. But we'll probably have a burst of productivity, Mm -hmm. which will help with the recovery Whether it will help with the inequity of the way in which our economy is imbalanced, both between services and productivity and and production of goods and services, I'm not sure. What we will need to try and do is to ensure that the geographic imbalance that exists is, as far as humanly possible, is dealt with by both uh, the entrepreneurship and innovation from the bottom up and targeted government help which will still be needed, and we are now in the throes of the kind of borrowing that we saw back in 2008 to save the banking and economic system. We're we're having to do that to save the whole of our productive business and Mm -hmm. commerce, and I think that will have to be sustained for some time.
3: Do you feel that people will take a second look at global supply chains in the wake of this outbreak?
2: I think there's going to be much more creative ways of using local and the US, and to some extent to uh, the Scandinavian countries, have a very different hi- interest, uh, history and, and therefore interest in maintaining the freedom to decide and the persuasion and consent mm. that's required. Uh, those countries that have experienced one way or another totalitarianism over the last century have a slightly different way of coming at this. Mm. I don't want to exaggerate it, but I think that that's why